The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today, as I am every fortnight, mostly, by my co-host, Dan. And, you know, I don't know, whenever you, someone says Fortnite, I want to think of a stupid joke about that goddamn game, but... <laughs> that will appear in every single game's press announcement. For the next 30 years, I don't know, but I don't have a good one this week, but... Fortnite, the game has ruined the word Fortnite for me, Tom. <laughs> An interesting way to start this episode, Dan. Just attacking um, Fortnite. Just, you know what? We're just going to lay into it, guys. You know what? Cancel the rest of the stories. Um, I actually have no problems with Fortnite, Dan. No, Fortnite's fine. Um, I just don't even really know what it is anymore, if we're being honest. Like, I'm um, not even sure. It became something it never intended to be with that one game mode. And then now I guess it's just a concert app. I'm not really sure what's <laughs> happening anymore. A concert app where John Wick and Thanos shoot each other every once in a while. Yeah, where Master Chief and Kratos and John Wick and a stack, a cowboy stack of pancakes with syrup, I believe, is one of them. Yeah, that's All fight each other. Almost like a combination of the biggest Xbox and PlayStation icons and rejected Pokemon ideas. All hold AKs and shoot each other. Mixed in with a fever dream. Yeah. But that is not what this show is supposed to be about. Um, earlier today, I posted actually to the Moore's Laws Dead Twitter, me giving Reese what I called a turbo belly rub, where I <laughs> put my feet back and forth rubbing her, and she was just like, immediately fell asleep when I started doing that. <laughs> so yeah, so for those who didn't see it, she was on her back below my desk, and I used both of my feet in kind of like a stair-stepper motion, and just double rubbed her belly. <laughs> she didn't good. even know what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, she deserves it, Tom. Well, she deserves it. She had actually a pretty rough weekend. I did post that, too. I mean, you know about it. Like, you know, I was busy for a few days. Then we talked, you know, because we usually game at least once every other day or something together. And I was just like, so, yeah, Reese was just at the emergency room. So that was fun that I had to deal with. At least it was just a bacterial infection. She's getting over it. I mean, she's going to be fine. Although I will say those those uh. Those emergency vet bills are uh, not small, Dan. <laughs> no, no, they're not. <laughs> I think I think this this dog's definitely worth it, though. But just a reminder that we can use your support on the Patreon, and she is the unofficial mascot of the channel. So that's true. So you could almost you you could argue. I think that's what I'm going to title the opening banter: our vet bills, uh, business expenses for Moore's Law is dead. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, but what I will say is if you do support us on Patreon, a lot of people loved the uh, graphics artist interview that was 
for the last episode, guest episode of Broken Silicon from Massive Damage Games. Um, I think that's turning into a slow burner. It, it was a more of a slow burn in terms of listens and downloads, but it's turning into, I mean, the amount of, it was one of those ones where there were just dozens upon dozens of comments of people saying it was their favorite episode. I mean, if you enjoyed that one, the next guest is actually uh, someone working on God of War Ragnarok right now, because oh, yeah. I, my goal is to just get as many game devs as possible, whether they write for the game, design the gameplay. Like I, I was looking at people I could try to get on from Guerrilla Games, and there's someone who's like the master of quests. I'm like, I, I, I love that job title. I love that that person on. Been trying to get one of the architects of the series X on. Of course, I already got someone on who was familiar with its design as well. Um, but yeah, anyone involved in making either the hardware or the games on the hardware is kind of what I'm driving for kind of for my guests this summer. And usually they lead to more and more of the same type of guests. Like the server engineer definitely led to more server engineers and more mm -hmm. professional side people. Like Mike Bruzzoni led to more of like the Daniel Nenny, Dave Eggleston, yeah. and those types of people as well. So. You know, and if anyone is a, I guess I'm also saying both support us if you want to ask questions of that game dev on Patreon, you know, and look out for that episode on the coming week. But additionally, uh, if you are a game dev, please reach out to the Moore's Laws Dead email. Uh, and, you know, let's get into some of the opening reader mails. Tragaholic writes in and he asks, hi, Tom and Dan. I really like dogs. Well, of course you should. And he continues, and as both of you have dogs, I'm wondering how many dog bloopers get cut out of Broken Silicon episodes, and if we will ever be treated to a dog bloopers episode. Thank you for all the hard work. I actually don't think there are a lot of dog things cut out. Reese and Wendy are kind of the, especially Wendy, are two of the quietest dogs we've ever had. Like, and Wendy's your dog. They don't see her very much, but they have seen her before. Like she used to lay behind me in my old apartment when we were recording and I would have to take her collar off because every once in a while she'll just itch her head for like 45 seconds. Yeah, just so nonstop. I would, so I would take her collar off if uh, so if she itched her head it wouldn't make a bunch of noise but like she doesn't bark at all. Like I, I, I don't think I've heard her bark aside from playing with another dog in like probably six months. And I was just going to say like the only things that because, like, when I first started Moore's Law is Dead, Reese would just be walking around in the background sometimes. And I don't think she was in the first video. Maybe she was. I don't know. But event, no, I know not in the first one. I don't think that one's on the site anymore. It's such terrible quality. I, honestly, <laughs> I, when I rewatched my first video, I just, and I'm not even talking about the one I never posted, the MX-150 one that I've only shown clips for. I mean, like, the one after that about Vega. Like, I pulled that because I literally had no idea what I was talking about when I re-listened to it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can't understand. But then if you read the comments, you'll see people go, yeah, this guy made a lot of good points. And, like, clearly some people understood what I was saying. I was like, well, good for you. I couldn't. But there, th she wasn't in that episode. But some episodes or videos after that, she showed up. And when I noticed it while editing, I was like, oh, well. You yeah. know, like, who cares if she's walking around in the background? The the only things we've really cut are, like, when their callers are making annoying noises, which they don't really do anymore. No. Wendy just basically chills and stares out windows all day silently. So. Yeah, so I don't think there would really be enough content for a blooper reel, but um, 
Thank you for writing in. Uh, Melodic Warrior also writes in, and he says, Tom, when you mentioned the insanity of GDR6X in your review of the 3080 Ti, and then again in episode 108 of Broken Silicon, this gave me an idea. A friend of mine has agreed to helping me purchase and mod both a 3070 Ti and a 3090. We are going to replace the GDR6X on those so that the 3070 Ti will have 12 gigabytes of GDR6, assuming you mean 16, and the 3090 will have 24 gigabytes of normal GDR6. To be fair, this project will take a, a while to complete, but we would share the results once we were done. Yeah, I guess, because I know that there has been successfully modded a 3070 Ti with, uh, not not Ti, a 3070 standard no. with 16 gigabytes of normal GDR6. I don't know if anything would happen. You know, obviously they can use both, but I don't I don't know like if there's anything at the BIOS that would be have a problem if you tried to mod non-6X onto a 3070 Ti. I, I don't know. I know uh, it would yeah. work if you, right, I'm trying to think right. I bet you could modify a 3080 Ti to 24 gigabytes or a 3090 possibly to 12, but I do wonder if going from 6X to 6 would work. I mean, maybe it will. I, I have no clue, but. You know, we don't mod graphics cards. I'm I'm going to assume, I, I don't know Melodic Warrior, but I'm going to assume he's done something with this before if he's just deciding to. How much will that or end up friend. costing? Yeah, or his friend. How much will that end up costing, though? Like 2500 bucks, probably? I'm well, going... I mean, so you have to buy the graphics card, but then yeah. after that, you would need to get the memory chips, and those are actually very cheap, but they're usually sold in bulk. Assuming you can get... Re I mean, honestly, if you have the equipment ahead of time, the cost is mostly going to be the graphics card in like 50 bucks yeah. of RAM. Like, it's not going to be that much, actually. Um, some of these cards with high memory capacities put the chips on the other side of the PCB. So I'd be curious, like, there'd be any, maybe, although it'd probably just be a dual capacity one for 16 gigabytes. So I don't know, it might work. I'm also just kind of wondering if you'd have to worry, like, what kind of cooler would fit it. Although, again, I don't think that'd be an issue, but I do know, for example, like, you know, like, for example, that I know just using one I know for sure off the top of my head is correct. Like, the PS4 was, had a clamshell design where the memory chips were on both sides of the mm -hmm. motherboard so that they could have double the capacity. I, I know some Ampere cards do that. There would be some, I mean, there's some way to uh, do a custom cooling solution if the stock cooler wouldn't work anymore, but <laughs> there's a lot to consider. I definitely had to bring this up, though, because if it does work, I mean, I would just straight up, like, pay some money if you could modify, like, my 3070 <laughs> into a 16 gigabyte, 16 gigabit per second, or GASP, 18 gigabit per second model, for me, I'd pay for it, and if you, or or I'd pay for a 3070 Ti because that's really what I want when I'm like looking at A4000. A4000 is basically a 16 gigabyte 3070 Ti, but it's like got a huge, a very low TDP limit. So it's like I don't know. I, I wish there was like a service where I could just upgrade Ampere cards to the amount of memory. I would argue they just should have had from the start. Yeah, I don't see a service like that ever happening because that sounds super niche, though. <laughs> Um, all right, let us get into corrections and omissions, which we didn't have too many in the past few episodes, but this one, there's quite a healthy helping of them. Actually, the first one I wanted to add is one from myself, which is an update on Ponte Vecchio. I was talking to an Intel contact and, uh, 
He he wanted to clarify that my leak about Pontevecchio isn't strictly wrong, but that the FP sixteen to thirty two to sixty four ratio I talk about there isn't true for all applications. That most of oh. them it is, to my understanding. And again, this is honestly. I self-admit it's getting a bit above my head at this point, but like that it is for many applications, you know, double precision is half the teraflops of single, which then that's double half precision, but that they have one type of data where they've managed to make it. And and I'm probably butchering this explanation, but that for one type of workload, they've managed to make it so they don't cut the teraflops in half when they move to double precision. And I've seen some people say that would be really inefficient for their design, to which this person says, no, this was a fundamental architectural (laughs) achievement that we can do this with one or two types of workloads. Like, this is a secret sauce thing we're doing here where we did things to allow this. For most things, it's still going to be the same ratio between half, single, and double precision, but that for specific ones... Physical simulation, specifically to my understanding, although again, this is definitely getting above what I would normally cover in terms of technicality, that it can do double precision at a far higher teraflop rating than otherwise it would be able to going from single precision. So just wanted to clarify that, though. And a correction of myself here. Um, I'm guessing you didn't have anything to add to that no. one, Dan. <laughs> um AC666 writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. I don't know if you were being serious or not, but I guess you can go ahead and flog me for being an idiot. The cell processor was never 28 nanometer. It got left on 45 nanometer, and the but the RSX GPU had a final revision at 28. The article that I linked to you did highlight rumors of a 22 nanometer cell, but that never actually came out. So please flog me for this mistake. Yeah, I mean, I definitely deserve some blame for not double-checking that. And this comes from when I was talking about, like, with a previous guest, I believe, the die shrinking um, of the PS3 cell and why eventually they for sure... For sure Sony has a PlayStation 3 emulator somewhere that they're working on because they can't just use 45 nanometer cell chips for PS Now forever. That's absurd. In fact, I would go as far as to say I'm like 99% sure they have an emulator working now. They either just aren't sure if they want to use it because they might want to just re-release everything, which is, yeah, I won't get into what I, my opinions on that. Or they, you know, they don't think it's quite ready. My guess would be a bit, of both, actually, is what's going on. And they're not quite sure what they want to do. But yeah, they never got to 28 nanometer. And I should have double-checked your correction of me. So now I'm correcting your correction of my correction. Yeah. Tick Dickler writes him. And he says, Tom, I'm going to be that guy and challenge you on the exemption you give to Rockstar because of their track record. I don't give them an exemption to anything. <laughs> but I'll continue reading here, especially with the upcoming re-re-re-release of GTA V and Dan Hauser's recent departure in order to form his own game studio. Um, I'm not going to read that. I don't know what he's talking about. I was there to see Bungie's Silver Ball game before term Halo Killer meant Halo itself. It was there when people forgot Fallout 4 at Bethesda Writers. I was there when CDP are like, geez, man, I can't even from anyways, my point is no pre-order gods, no pre-order masters. Um, and I think he's referencing, I think the episode with Colin Moriarty, where I talk about how, where we both agree that nobody should be pre-ordering, like pre-ordering any games. It makes no sense. You are Mm -hmm. basically, there's like, you are rewarding. Imagine if you pre-ordered 
Like you're rewarding them for not giving you anything. Like you're basically paying them to, and they haven't even proven they've done their job. And that this is actually damaging to the quality of games. I, I, that's what me and Colin talk about. We both think that, but I did say that, like you know, there are people like Kojima or Rockstar that have an insane track record over the last two decades. And so, if the game looks like something I know I'll like, then I'll pre-order it. But you know, that's not an exemption. That's something they've earned. And not all of their games in the past were 10 out of 10s, or even if you want to get pedantic, above 9 out of 10s. I'd call them all since, I mean, I don't know. Almost all, every game they made in the past two decades, 10 out of 10s for me personally. But, you know, I, I also think this kind of goes into like, you know what, man, then you don't do it. And I don't think you're wrong. But there are a couple studios that to me still have legendary status. There's just very, very little of them. I would say I do, I, I do agree that I... Th- I'm a little bit more uh, apprehensive. We'll see with uh, the Dan Hauser not being part of Rockstar anymore. That is a pretty big departure. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I bet GTA 6, whenever that actually gets some type of official confirmation, will be good. But I'm, I mean, it's coming. It's just probably not coming for three or more years. But I, no, I, I'm going to be a little uh, less immediately on board because Dan Hauser isn't writing it. Well, also, it's like I look for if there's red flags, right? Yeah. Like for me, I like I'm sorry if someone wants to defend them, but there was like a <laughs> there was there was a UN meeting of flags when it comes to red flags for cyberpunk. They showed like oh, three yeah. gameplay sections, the same three, the same bar scene, the same car chasing, the same chick with pink hair talking to your face. Like they showed like the same three shots for a year and then didn't let reviewers show footage from the reviews. If something well, like that happens from Rockstar, yeah, I'm not pre-ordering it. Well, and, and that was more near the end, like the review stuff. But yeah, seeing the reviews not show any real footage from playing the game. That was when you and I both said, oh, this is going to be really bad, isn't it? And yeah, for the entire like year preceding its release, I was confused about what all the hubbub was about. Like, it looked like a I, cool I mean, I thought there were red game. flags, not near the end. <laughs> There's red flags the entire developmental period from my point of view. But um, what what I would say to Tick Dickler is as a black and white statement, I will go, yeah, don't do any pre-orders. But I'm allowed to make my own rules, all right? And you just, you make your own. But if it's th- one or the other, I say, yeah, don't pre-order. And I think like literally the only reason, like the last g- game that I pre-ordered more than, I don't know, a week before I got it because at a week out it's like I know I'm going to get this might as well pre-order it so I can preload it onto my system was Red Dead Redemption 2 and the only reason I pre-ordered that early was because there was a deal to get it for like 40 bucks if you pre-ordered it oh yeah Yeah. I knew I was going to get Red Dead Redemption 2 (laughs) yeah so it's not like always there are times where and again, it's on a per person, your own thoughts, your own, your own thoughts about a company and your own deals you can get by pre-ordering basis. But I mean, it's not it wasn't it's not an exemption to them. Like yeah. you said, Dan, there are reasons we will be a little more skeptical of the next game, you know, because like I left the studio and um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they are just re-releasing GTA five over and over. But who can blame them? They're making so much money. I mean, yeah, it's behind well, you, I, either tetris or Wii sports i can't remember which one yeah well i think it's i think it is like number one besides like minecraft at this point 
Oh, it might be Minecraft, yeah. QH Freddy writes him, in BS108, you talk about the limited processor platform support on Windows 11 and mention power-saving features as a possible reason for them limiting previous architectures like Skylake and Kaby Lake. I believe the real reason they're doing this is because of security features mostly having a hardware root of trust. But yeah, the general gist is it's very arbitrary. They should just disable those features that require TPM if the platform doesn't support it. Yeah, that that I don't really have much to add to what QH Freddy just said, except that, yes, that is probably part of it as well. Or like if there is a real reason outside of them just... I don't know, some some somewhat arbitrary reason, but I, I think I think security would be actually a very real reason for them to limit Skylake. I just don't know why that would also then apply to Zen. Yeah. Zen one and not Zen Plus. To me, that kind of screams that conspiracy theory that they maybe seg <laughs> cut off Zen one support to not make Intel sad. That's the only thing I can think of unless you know, somebody says, no, there actually is this thing to point to. <laughs> Karma Cry writes in, NVIDIA workstation cards were Quadro. Tesla was the data center brand. But with Ampere, these are all discontinued and replaced with plain AXXXX as the Quadro replacement branding and AXXX slash AXX as Tesla replacements. And I actually looked into it and yeah, he's right. Like if you go to NVIDIA's driver download page, it says NVIDIA RTX slash Quadro. And then if you go to the A6, like there is no Quadro connected to mm. these anymore, which I wasn't really aware of, honestly. I knew they got rid of <laughs> Tesla. That was like a big announcement because they don't want to share their brand with Elon Musk. But yeah, <laughs> QH Freddy writes him again. Since you brought it up in loose ends, let me just say Bergamo is pronounced with emphasis on the E. Yeah, Bergamo. I mean, there yeah. you go. I think I've been saying it right most of the time. Although I will say, guys, and, and some of you European listeners just need, to, just need to get this, though. If you go to the pronunciation, like official like dictionaries will pronounce it the way I do half the time because you have to understand. And this is, guys, listen, English is a different language than your language. Uh. The the rule generally is what the emphasis is on the second to last syllable in most words in English. So that's what you default to. Which there is official, you know, like like grammatically, actually, you do say it in a different way in America. And I am not technically saying it wrong. It's just I often say the European pronunciation half the time as well. But like with Ampere, I don't. I put my foot down on that one specifically for two reasons. One, Jensen Wang says it that way. Uh, and number two, it's actually not, you, you could argue it's like the unit and not the per, you know, well, I guess it is the person though, right? But like that, there are actually multiple ways to pronounce that based on the country and whether you're talking about the unit, the person, you know, th there's a lot there, oh. guys. So you guys got to double check what you're talking about, though, with pronunciations, too. There was another one that really annoyed me, too, that I forgot what it was, that people kept saying was wrong, that it just wasn't wrong. Okay, um, so let me move on, then, to story number one. All right, Zen 4 Raphael is currently 16 cores, but it might still beat Raptor Lake at just about everything. So I have a write-up here. 
About two months ago, Moore's Law said put out an early report on Zen 4 Raphael that detailed everything from minimum IPC to TDP to platform I.O. and also the expected core counts. In short, it was stated that while numerous sources detailed the consideration of a 24-core design and even PCIe 5.0 at one point, that the consensus was that at least the initial Raphael lineup would top out at 16 cores. And now, as shared on Twitter... Moore's Law said can confirm with even higher confidence than before that as of now, Raphael is just 16 core designs. And this is also, I'm sorry, it's just 16 core for the top model. And that this is also backed up by front of the show, Executable Fix, as well as respected Twitter leaker Patrick Schur. Additionally, according to recent talks, we can also communicate that AMD currently projects single-threaded leadership over Raptor Lake next year with Raphael and supposedly expect a slight when in multi-threading as well, even though Raptor Lake will have 24 cores, although 16 of those are little cores, and also that AM5 is built for substantially higher power CPUs than AM4 initially was, and it's not crazy to think that while Raphael is, and in quotes, limited to just 16 cores, still a lot of cores, some higher core count parts could be coming. These, of course, could be Zen 5 chips or some sort of Bergamo-like denser version of Raphael that is still technically a Zen 4-based architecture, but that would not be called Raphael, just like Bergamo to Genoa. That would be something entirely different. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's 16 cores. Like I can't say some of the details of what made me even more confident, but it's there's multiple people now just know it is 16 cores. And I don't think we need to go beyond 16 20, 16 cores, 32 threads next year. I don't know, maybe the year after that, 24 cores will be a thing. But 16 cores for three generations is fine, especially if they're getting huge IPC increases over year over year, which that's a lot more important, really, than uh, core counts at this point. Because, I don't know, we've said that many times. Would you rather have 50% more cores or 50% higher IPC per core? More IPC is better for gaming, at least. Well, and it was funny. You know, I actually just, when I was putting the notes for this episode of Broken Silicon together, I rewatched some of that Raphael week I did, uh, leak I did back in May. And yeah, I mean, it's, I really don't have much that I should need to add. I literally said in it that, at, like, before I got to the PowerPoint slide, like, almost everyone I'm talking to says it tops out at 16 cores, but that at least internally at Intel, they're kind of operating under the conviction it's 24 cores because they know AMD could do it if they wanted to. And a big part of that video was talking about, is this stagnation if they've had 16 cores for one, two, three? I guess technically this might be four generations if you count Zen 3D as its own generation. Oh. Um, you know, four gens in a row of 16 cores. And I expected more people in the comments of that leak to say, ah, AMD's turning into Intel with quad cores now at 16. But actually, most of the comments said, I could not care less if it is more than 16 cores. Eh, that's a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, what, that'll be three, four years, I guess, on 16 cores, which that I guess that is starting to get to the point where it will be a little long, but... I don't know. We were stuck on four cores for what? Eight years almost. What Now, like seven, six or seven years, right? Yeah. And I would say that there's a lot of reasons both that. So first of all, there's a lot of reasons AMD went to 16 
cores, right? They were g- working with four core CCXs still with Zen 2. And so basically, and you think about how they organized the IO die and they were designing it, it's like either they would have gone with some weird, what, move to like a six core CCX and then just mm-hmm. do two of those. But then why would they, they already have the four core CCXs from the previous generation. So there's that lineage there on why they would have kept four plus four for a CCD. And if that's what they're going to do, then it made sense to just go to 16 right away, both for that reason that it was kind of probably easiest to just do that. <laughs> and also because, well, Intel, you know, was still kind of keeping up with them pretty well back then. Like this was the time to really just hammer it home. But now they have. And there's really no sign, supposedly according to AMD sources, even that they that they think Raptor Lake will catch up in multi-threading with the IPC increases and core speed increases they're going to get with Zen 4, just still with 16 cores. And so... Yeah, I mean, I I guess you could argue that it just made all of the sense in the world back then to go straight to 16 from 8, and now it just makes a lot of sense to stay on 16 cores. Um, Yeah, I guess I can't say more than that, but there are some specific design reasons that suggest that it was much, much easier to stick with 16, at least at first again. I think with Raptor like being at 24 cores, there will probably be more of a motivation to increase core counts again after... Zen 4, but I I think it's really hard to guess what the future looks like with Intel, though, until you actually see more solid information on what all how Alder Lake will perform, because I don't know, 16 core of the little cores. We really don't know what that's going to look like yet. (laughs) To be fair, though, you know, Lakefield has been out for a while to prepare for big little. And then Alder Lake will have been out for a year before, or almost a year probably, before Raptor Lake launches. And so that's a whole year of all of that, you know, where they can prepare for Raptor Lake when they're like, all right, now we're assuming it's perfect. So we're just moving up in little cores. And, you know, I was actually talking to someone at Intel today, and this person just goes, think about it. I mean, do we really need more than eight? Big cores? I mean, maybe set 12 in, and then it's like, and maybe 16? (laughs) (laughs) But after that, shouldn't we just keep massively boosting the IPC with, you know, know, adding as much cash as possible and other clocks, and then increasing clock speed for this 8 to 16 big cores as we can, and then just... Tons of little cores afterwards for multi-threading performance. You can have the best of both worlds. You know, ideally, if you can get this working, that's really what we should be doing. That's what this person said. That or more than two ISMT. (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely not right now. But um, I I mean, like, I I still wouldn't double down on if it's in the next couple of years. And then also, the more I look at kind of, I get more information on the actual architectural changes coming to Zen 4. It's like, this is a big change. So it's like, you always got to think about how much work is going into these architecture tweaks between like a Zen 3 and a Zen 4. And then should we also add on top of that, trying to get 24 cores working in a dense AM5 package, you know, in a 40 by 40 millimeter square package? Like, should we try to also worry about that? It's kind of like with like RDNA 2, you know, we got Infinity Cache working. Should we also rush 3D stacking into it now? Or should we just <laughs> get this done? Because it works really well, way better than RDNA 1. And we'll worry about 3D stacking with RDNA 3. 
I, I know for a fact that that's something that's kind of gone on with Zen 3. The reason Zen 3, and I've said this before publicly, Zen, the reason Zen 3D is kind of a surprise announcement is Zen 3 was built in the die to allow for adding Vcash. But when Zen 3 was announced initially, all the way back in 2020, they, or should I say unveiled, they weren't sure if they would get the manufacturability to work before Zen 4 mm-hmm. was out. And so they always had, like all the way back, the 5950X can have Vcash put on it. It's just, they weren't, they, they had the allotments in the silicon design to have that connection to the cache on top of it if they ever got it working. They just weren't sure if they'd get it working till Zen 4. And so that's taken a lot of work. So you're going to get probably a lineup with Zen 4 with Vcash on a lot of it, not just some of it. And yeah. all of these other tweaks to the core architecture and the cache itself, you know, that's probably them going, let's just focus on the IPC because I'm expecting a bigger than Zen 3 IPC increase with Zen 4, like over 20%. Now, will it hit 30 or higher? I don't know if I go that far, but we'll see, you know, and if that if they got like a 30% higher IPC increase again, I mean, that that's really when it gets crazy to me, like if I pull this up, like, because I have Zen 2, and you would just go, okay, well, Zen 3 is 1.2, like let's say. Now let's multiply that by 1.3. I mean, we're looking at 56% higher IPC between Zen 4 and... Zen 2, and it's coming out two and a half years later. That's crazy. It's arguably more exciting or more worthwhile, at least, than an increase in core counts. Uh, It's not another minuscule increase in IPC like when Intel was stagnating, like their big exciting Mm -hmm. announcement was... I don't know, a, a 11% IPC increase or something. Yeah, or like 10% with Haswell and 11% with Skylake, but shh, it's actually 11% over Haswell. Don't pay attention to Broadwell. It was already half of that. <laughs> you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, let us also remember this too. Seven nanometer was over 16 nanometer, or I guess 12 nanometer with Zen Plus, or whatever you want to call it, right? 16, 14, 12. That family of nodes that was used for Zen 1 and Zen Plus, 7 nanometer was like way, 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 way better. 5 nanometer is better than 7, but N5 from TSMC is like, I think half, maybe not half the increase, but it's not as big of an increase as 7 was over 12 nanometer. And so because of that, you can't, just assume it'd be easy to double core counts with that massive power usage again at the same time as doing anything else. Yeah. Root Knight writes him, with PCIe 5.0 planned for a consumer release in possibly less than two years, do you think it's likely for PCIe 4.0 to become a useless, in quotes, standard in the sense that developers were either target 5.0 bandwidth for the extra performance or just stick to 3.0 support for the larger install base? I would just say no. I mean, if you think about it, the in fact, I, the way you describe it, I don't think is really how that works either. Um, but like PCIe 4.0 is what's in the co- current gen consoles. And we've had a, a two years of X570. And it's still incredibly rare for a game to have double digit performance gains over 3.0. You still see some instances where that's like happening, especially with like some console ports, I know. But I would just say more bandwidth is more bandwidth. And 4.0 is more than three, but less than five. But it's not really, you know, in quotes, necessary for max performance in the overwhelming majority of games. So 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to see one year where it's just like, I don't think in two years it's going to be like, oh, this game was built for 5.0, so everyone with 4.0 is losing 20% performance. The consoles use it. It's more than enough. Even developers tell me it's more than enough bandwidth for graphics I mean, cards, even if 3.0 is a little long in the tooth. And I don't think, no, I don't think it's going to be an issue at all. Five is more, but it's not necessary. Four is more than three, but most games still don't even need that. Yeah, I, I don't, three is still sufficient for most things, and even though you are seeing, you do see big performance losses or double-digit performance losses sometimes. But I, I don't think 5.0 is going to be a necessary standard anytime soon. Or th- once again, 3.0 is still arguably fine. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I do. Uh, Rise, Son of Rome was a crazy one. Oh, okay. Where PCIe 2.0 with some amount of lanes had like a way larger drop off. Like not like the usual, like, oh, another 5% if you go from 16 to times eight. It was like, if I remember correctly, Rise Son of Rome, when it was finally ported from Xbox One to PC, but this like massive drop off with some amounts of PCIe bandwidth. Mm. Um, and it's clearly because they were doing something with that on the Xbox One to up performance for it. So mm. I would say that it can happen. I just don't think, I don't think, again, it's going to be like, well, now all games are built for 5.0, especially when the consoles use it. And in, and again, developers don't even tell me they need more. So mm-hmm. I'll just say, yeah, I'm not worried about it. But let us move on to some products that will probably have 5.0 support with story number two. AMD Chagall X3D and Zen 4 Threadripper existence and release timeframes leaked. And there's a write up here. For the past few months, Moore's Law Z has been spammed by comments losing their minds over the fact that we haven't done a Zen 3 Threadripper leak yet. This confused us, as everyone should know what it is without a leak. It's derived from Milan. Go look up Milan if you want to know what a Zen 3 Threadripper would be. No, this was interesting to us. This wasn't interesting to us until we could confirm additional info. And on July 15th, Moore's Law Dead did. In summary, Zen 3 Threadripper Chagall is expected, or I guess it's actually pronounced Chagall, it's a French word, is expected to launch by November 2021. The top chip is 64-core 5990X, and the lineup is expected to cost more than before. I don't have exact pricing, but even if I did, it wouldn't matter because they haven't decided yet. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the prices I've seen proposed are a little more than what Zen 2 was. And when I look at the workstation... Xeon Ice Lake chips coming out for like six grand for the 38 core. Well, I mean, then AMD could charge six grand for their top 64 core if they wanted to. So that's all I would say. But continuing the summary, Zen 3 Threadripper Chagall is expected in November. Zen 3 Chagall Pro is tentatively planned to launch in January 2022. That's the eight channel model with double the PCIe 4.0 lanes. And then surprisingly, Milan X with Vcash is planned to launch as of now by the second half of 2022. There's no details on if it's a full lineup of Threadripper, you know, with 64 cores and so on and so forth, but it's on the roadmap. And a 96 core Zen 4 Threadripper is planned right now for quarter one 2023. Furthermore, Intel is not expected to have 
really any HEDT products until 2023. Remember, those Xeon Ice Lakes are workstation. Um, and finishing the thoughts on this one, finally, it must be pointed out that AMD's HEDT cadence is starting to almost look a little Intel-like. Threadripper 1000 launched two months after Zen 1 Naples. Threadripper 3000 launched four months after Zen 2 Rome. And Threadripper 5000 is launching six months after Zen 3 Milan. And then Threadripper with Vcash is, of course, around six months after Milan X probably launches, although not 100% sure. And Threadripper Zen 4 seems to be launching at least six months after Genoa. Intel's cadence for HEDT became 10 plus months after the server releases with Sandy Bridge E in 2011 and onwards after Intel firmly crushed AMD and felt no need to be aggressive in HEDT anymore. And there are some worries that AMD could be already doing this, but who can blame them? <laughs> All right, Dan, what do you got to say? Well, we'll we'll see if uh, if it's completely Intel. Like it could be a mix if they keep with the six month cadence. Like <laughs> your leak seems to predict that they are going to have that six month delay by what three times in a row, I guess. But yeah, I mean they're not competitive. Uh, Intel's not competitive with AMD and HEDT, so there's no real reason to get products to market that fast anymore. Like Threadripper is coming out way later than it used to, and AMD doesn't need to do it any sooner, really. And, and I did make the argument in this leak that, to be fair, um, if there was that, you could make the argument that Chagall is actually just a blip. That if you go back and look at it, you you could simply make the argument that AMD brought Zen three to AM four. Yes, a year before the Threadripper, but Milan wasn't even out yet. That AMD mm -hmm. was actually intentionally bringing Zen three to gamers first because they knew they had a real win here for gamers, and that. Yes, maybe Threadripper would have typically launched, you know, closer to August or July, frankly, with the normal cadence, um, if we were following what Threadripper 1000 at least did, but that there's shortages and zero competition right now. If there was ever a Threadripper launch to be farther after the Epic counterpart, it would be this one. And that as of now, actually, it seems like Milan X may come to Threadripper faster than Milan did, Milan Threadripper, Milan-based Threadripper did there, said it correctly. <laughs> um, but that, to also be fair, it's not out yet. So this is just one thing I know they're considering until yeah. AMD proves they're going back to a more aggressive cadence. I have no reason to believe they are. And Genoa, look, and then the Zen 4 Threadripper, which does have its own code name, by the way, guys. I just, I'm not saying it. Um, that one looks like it could be coming like eight months later or something like so i don't know it's not quite to the 10 months of intel but it's it's getting dangerously close eight months is very close to 10 months if the cadence slips to that so yeah but you know as you said amd doesn't need to go to an aggressive doesn't need to take an aggressive position if they don't really even have a competitor in a lot of ways at this point. <laughs> it sounds a like... At least in this space, they don't. It sounds like 14 nanometer, 18 cores for Intel HEDT until the end of 2023 when they may launch Sapphire HEDT. Hopefully. I mean, my God. And wait, how many cores would that I, I likely be, I guess? Sapphire Rapids, I mean, at most it'd be 56. Yeah, so, so 56 even then... <laughs> 56 cores could be competitive against... 64 with Threadripper, depending on the task you're doing. But 
Yeah. I don't uh, think it'd be any better than a 64 core Milan X if that's out by then. That's true. I, I'm just saying having <laughs> having roughly or almost equivalent options, you know, that that does force AMD's hand a little more than an 18 core or <laughs> that they competing with right now. Yeah, and I guess it would be an interesting question if Intel would even do that, because if you look at what they're doing right now, they've just I mean, you could say they've just given up on HEDT. Like they said, fine, we'll launch an 18 core because we can a few years ago and then we're done because we're yeah. not going to even bother. But they did launch a 28 core workstation and they are launching a 38 core workstation again. And this 38 core workstation chip isn't going to clock as high as, you know, Threadrippers, but it's still going to be far better situation, a 10 nanometer 38 core versus you know, AMD 64 cores than what they had before, which was 14 nanometer, 28 core against 64 cores. So Intel is, again, I, and I keep saying this, you know, people keep missing. Intel is making up lost ground here. Like they are not, <laughs> I would argue they used to be less than half the performance per watt. Like they're, they are slowly making up lost ground. So, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder though what they will do with the reintroduction of HDT if they'll try to make like some really, really big splash and go, no, we're launching, we are launching 56 core um, Sapphire Rapids to HDT, or if they will limit that to workstation again and just launch maybe, you know, like a 32 core version of it to a new HDT platform. Because there's an argument to be made that HDT may not need so many cores, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would want to see, like, people that are generally building high-end desktops, what core count do they usually want to go for? Because, yeah, may maybe 64 or 56 cores HEDTs is super niche and arguably pointless from Intel's perspective. You know what, though? Now that we've said that out loud, that's not true, though, because I know for a fact that the best-selling, I believe, Zen Plus Threadripper was the 32 core, and that they okay. can... Then that the 64 core for Zen 2, they couldn't keep it in stock. So actually, I don't <laughs> think there's an argument for that. Okay. The only argument would be Intel wants to make a platform that tries to hit a lower entry point than what currently Threadripper, because Threadripper is expensive as heck now. It is not some budget HEDT platform it was originally created for. It is now insanely expensive. And that's the only reason I could see that like, Diversion, diverting into two again, where if they limited like their HDT to 32 cores, but then still had the workstation as if Intel said, we want to make the entry point platform cheaper than what AMD offers now, where I don't even know what the cheapest Threadripper motherboard is that's decent, but I think it's like 500 bucks or more and the cheapest processors, like, <laughs> you know, like 1400 plus. Yeah. Like it, and I'm pretty sure the entry for Zen 3 is going to be like 1500 or more. Like, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Intel was like, well, this is so we can make a $300 motherboard or $400 motherboard with a entry point of like a $900 to $1,000 processor. Yeah. Again, I guess the only other thing I would say is I do not think you can just argue AMD is completely stagnating here, though. I mean, they have no reason to release anything in HEDT and it will keep selling. They can't keep them in stock. And yet, guys, one year from now, they'll be preparing supposedly. Yeah. But yeah, a year from now, they'll have like some supposedly 3D stack generation, and then half a year from that, they're preparing a 96-core HEDT, supposedly. It wouldn't surprise me if they limited that to um, the Pro 8-channel one or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess I would just remind people that as much as you could say AMD's getting a little lazier, um, 
I don't if know. They, They're releasing new crazy stuff every year still when they really don't need to. If they have a generation of, if Zen 4 is the same core counts and a 10% IPC increase or 15% IPC increase, I'll be like, all right, they're kind of stagnating a little. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, again, now that I think about it, what I know about what Intel has coming after 2023 sounds pretty insane, but I think the 96 core Threadripper is going to still probably raffle stomp anything Intel can release around it. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I think actually AMD is probably pretty safe in HEDT till the end of 2023, to be honest, or at least till mid-2023. Um, ben Cannon writes in, he goes, I remember a while back you saying that it seems like weekly you are asked about the next HDT platform from Intel. As it has been two months since I heard about it, I want to ask you again to annoy you. Have you heard anything about next-gen Intel HDT? Well, Ben Cannon, I believe, already answered your question with that last conversation. But he does have another one. He says, my actual question is, what is the product coming up from each of the three major tech companies you are most interested in? And then he says, you can just say after Lunar Lake. Um, I mean, honestly, like, we've got to be clear, though. Are we talking short-term or long-term? Because short-term, it's DG, too. Like, I want to know if this happens, you know. And like an Intel, it does. I'm going to be somewhat doubtful just because it's so knew that Intel's getting into the GPU space uh, with, in a real way, in a real non-integrated way. Um, but besides that, no, I, I do think it is Lunar Lake. Like, I'll just say that what's in Lunar Lake specifically is what I'm most interested in. If not, I don't know, again, maybe DG2 or RDNA3. What do you think is the most interesting thing coming? Obviously, don't say any code names, sir. Oh, damn it. I was going to say all of the code. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, short term, Alder Lake and DG2. Long term, it's harder for me to say because there's it, it, it's really hard to even guess what they're going to look like completely mm -hmm. uh, long term. a lot of them so, aren't finalized anyway. So, yeah, and a lot of it, it, a lot of it is very, very like theoretical at this point. So it's it's hard to point to what will come out. Uh, I mean, I guess semi long term RDNA three. <laughs> That's yeah. not that long term, though. Yeah, I mean, and, and I would just say this too, especially anyone who's listening who's a leaker and thinks they know what Intel's doing. I mean, I've been kind of rounding up some info today, and a lot of Intel's roadmaps have just changed under Pat Gelsinger. Like, let me just say that <laughs> to you too, Dan. Like, I, we haven't talked about this. That to say I know what I'm most excited about there's a there, yeah, there's a lot of changes to what Pat's doing with how he's organizing multiple types of architectures. And the more I look at what AMD and Intel have coming, and of course, as people can see from my Bergamo and other AMD leaks recently, I'm now starting to get a lot of good a lot of AMD stuff as well. I think I think there's this notion that it's like this year this launches, this year this launches, this year that launches. And it's more like this year, this family, this family, and this family's product launches. And then this year, this family, you know, this is what they're doing mm -hmm. for dense compute. This is what they're doing for more traditional server. This is what they're doing for like, you know, this, you know, embedded that there's actually a lot of different architectures coming every year pretty soon from both AMD and Intel. And that if someone's quote unquote planned or leaked roadmap is just like one server thing from Intel a year. They have more than one thing coming after 2023, <laughs> after 2022 every year, and so does AMD. So I'm mm -hmm. not spoiling anything from either company. Like, this is going to get hard to keep track of in a good way. Well, Guys. in an arguably good way, because 
being hard to keep track of things is always annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I seem to enjoy it. All right. Let us move on to story number three. More FSR games launched, including in DLSS titles, Xbox Series X and PS5. And I have a write-up. On July 7th, Rosalazad tweeted that people should expect a deluge of additional FSR launches on July 16th, that this day would mark FSR coming to DLSS games, not just other games that don't have DLSS or FSR. And yep, that happened. In summary, many more games, including Resident Evil 8, have added FSR support. Hired Gun and others also have FSR now despite already having DLSS, putting to rest the worries that NVIDIA would block out adding FSR to DLSS games. Some comparisons are already showing that multiple games that have both DLSS and FSR support show no visual differences in quality between the FSR offering, despite the FSR offering having lower latency at times and far greater GPU support and often a higher performance boost, though it depends on which performance boost you're comparing, of course. And then the Edge of Eternity dev has already confirmed the PS5 and PS4 will have FSR support, of course, along with the Xbox versions. But this is noticeable to highlight the PS5 and PS4 because Xbox has already talked about adding FSR to Series X during their Windows 11 event, and Sony, as usual, is quiet. They don't even have Adaptive Sync yet, so I'm just saying it's, it's good that we now know FSR is coming to PS5 very soon. Um, and then furthermore, last thing I want to say, Far Cry 6 and many more AAA games are already announcing having FSR support at launch, and this is not something DLSS could claim in its first year. For example, Red Dead Redemption 2 just got DLS support two years after its PC release. So in conclusion, FSR's adoption continues at a breakneck pace compared to DLSS, but yes, DLSS is also all of a sudden aggressively coming to more games at the same time. Competition is good. Anna, what do you think about all of this, Dan? Once again, I want to see how adoption continues to happen because what they just released... Um they they just re- released like the information to easily integrate it into their assist into games right so yeah. i assume i assume it's going to keep getting integrated into games like when they had uh, dev announced said that they integrated fsr in 2 hours so i don't know hopefully in the next like 6 months you know slowly just every game or a bunch of games get it because FSR needs to outcompete DLSS or earlier versions of DLSS if it wants to become this huge mainstay, which I, th- I mean, I think it's going to. <laughs> and, Both in adoption and quality, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there's probably some correlation maybe to DLSS suddenly getting more support in adoption. And I'm glad to see that this early on games already have DLSS and FSR because that means a bunch of games are going to have both, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's very exciting to see so many games just, you know, and I'm like testing an RTX 3060 right now and all the, like so many games that didn't used to have DLSS are all getting it right now and they're getting FSR and FSR quality is going up and I know an FSR 2.0 is coming out sooner than people think. So I just, again, when you look at, again, like Unreal Engine's TSR, the way some games are adding just like a resolution scale TA injection, it's like, I just think in about a year, every game's going to have, it's just going to be like, what monitor do you have? Okay, run it at the resolution of your <laughs> monitor. Most people will want at least 1440p. Um, and then if it's not getting the frame rate you want, 
change the settings until you can't tell the difference, whether it's high, medium, or ultra. And then after that, if you need more performance, turn on DLSS or FSR and just, you're done. You just now have consistent frames. And I, I'm actually extra excited for when some games, I assume, will just start coming with like a dynamic FSR or and dynamic resolution DLSS kind of built in from the start so I don't have to do anything. I want FSR to, well, and DLSS, but to improve before I see that because there are some pretty big losses mm. in quality to non, what is it? What, whatever the top model of FSR is. I think, I think it's just quality mode, right? Or, uh, um, um, Ultra, because Ultra, Ultra sounds okay. bigger than NVIDIA's quality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which you... You have to sound bigger than the other Which one. Which now NVIDIA is about to add ultra mode for DLSS because you can't have that. <laughs> I love marketing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, like once you start getting into like the bal uh, balanced and especially performance modes on FSR, <laughs> it, it looks pretty crappy based on what I've seen so far. Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 and I, I would think when it comes to DLSS dynamic resolution, I believe a couple games have it, but it's like, I, I assume you need a pretty high setting for DLSS for that. Because again, when I've tried ultra performance mode with DLSS, like there will just be objects that change shapes in the background while moving. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would be a little scared if they were doing that dynamically <laughs> with resolution in some games. But I assume eventually they can get something working. <laughs> it turns into like the, uh, like Google's, uh, what is it, like deep AI where they assemble images and it's <laughs> where they assemble images based on a deep, uh, AI and it, I don't know, create some like LSD trippy looking effects. <laughs> <laughs> Let us move on to story number four. Nintendo Switch OLED announced, I'm quoting from The Verge, Nintendo is announcing a new Switch model today with a larger 7-inch 720p OLED display. Well, rumors had suggested this new Switch would ship with a new NVIDIA chip inside that offered higher performance, this new OLED model is mostly just a screen upgrade. Nintendo lists the Switch OLED model is only supporting 1080p via TV mode, and rumors that suggested some 4K support with DLSS are not to be seen. The model will start at 350 and go on sale on October 8th. Other than that new screen, the revised model includes an adjustable stand for tabletop play, 64 gigabytes of built-in storage from the previous 32, a new dock with a wired Ethernet port built in, and improved audio for handheld or tabletop play. Nintendo only mentions up to 1080p via HDMI TV mode for the TV dock, so the rumored 4K mode definitely isn't part of it. Nintendo has confirmed to The Verge that there are no internal changes at all. So again, because there are people still speculating, oh, could there be... It's like, no, no, there is nothing else. Um, yeah, I mean, this was pretty interesting. I don't, I guess I don't follow anyone that doubled down on it actually more. I think about it or I don't think I do, but I've heard that there were some leakers that ate just a ton of shit when it was announced with no extra specs. Yeah, and you know, that's disappointing, but I think we said the, uh, uh like probably a month ago that they bought 30 million more, uh, Tegra mm. SOCs. I guess yeah. that's what the remaining 30 million are going into, or most of them are going into these OLED switches. Yeah, and just so everyone knows, like, there were two kind of leak analysis videos I was working on for a while. One was Threadripper stuff, and then the other one was, I'll just tell everyone now, involving some stuff with NVIDIA and Switch. And I decided 
Um, it was actually after the OLED model was announced that I was really getting into it heavily. So it didn't really have to do with that model. But I decided that I was so far down the rabbit hole every time I kept doing the Switch 2 research that I just had to stop and get this Threadripper video done, or it'd be like <laughs> a week of or two weeks of no video. So I'm still working on that. And yeah, I, I don't know how much to say because I don't want to reveal everything I'm going to go into in an upcoming video yet. But, you know, I talk about in Nintendo's strategy a lot with the previous game dev that was on from Massive Damage. I assume I'll talk with, uh, what's his name, Chris from Sony Santa Monica, because again, this every every dev I talk to just loves talking about Nintendo rumors, because we never get to talk about this stuff. So I'm sure we'll get into it there. So, you know, submit those reader mails. But, you know, there's there's a lot of connections here. And, and it's like, you look around and you go, so there were some websites, like I believe Bloomberg, who said the OLED model was coming, but also there's another SOC. Those two things can still be true, guys. <laughs> and... You know, if you think about Nintendo buying up the remaining Maxwell-based Tegras and then raising the price, basically, of the Switch, it's yeah. almost like they know they have a limited amount of APUs to sell, Dan, over the next hmm. year, and they're raising the price because they know they have a limited amount. Hmm, I wonder. I wonder why they would do that and why... They bought up the remaining Tegra, but stopped production. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> when did the DSi XL come out before the 3DS came out? Under two hmm. years, didn't it, people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all I'll say for now. I, uh, broadly speaking, though, uh, to get off of that, I think this is a pretty disappointing announcement, just pretty putting it bluntly. It's great. They raised the price of the the switch, which uses how old's the tech on that thing now? Like six years old. Well, right, and it, I think it came out in 2017, if I remember correctly. But remember, it's based on Maxwell. So yeah. So how old's the tech? Like six years old, right? Yeah, I think so. So uh, it's a little disappointing. Um, I mean, I guess it's impressive that they keep getting games to run on that thing. But <laughs> I think they need something new at some point. You know. There's a lot of things I would do differently if I was a Nintendo, but yet Nintendo's making gangbusters money off of the Switch and can't keep them in stock. So should you really ask me my opinion on what they should do with this console anyways? Because they're doing fine. They they've seem to have stumbled across a really, really good strategy <laughs> yeah. to making a ton of money. So I, I don't know what I can really criticize them on from a business perspective. <laughs> Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need 
and games as well. Add them to your cart and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. All right, let us then move on to story number five. Steam Deck and Van Gogh confirmed. And here we go. I believe I'm quoting here from The Verge again. Valve just announced the Steam Deck. It's long-rumored Switch-like handheld gaming device. It will begin shipping in December, and reservations opened on July 16th and starting at $399, although there were $529 and $649 models as well. The device has an AMD APU containing a quad-core Zen 2 CPU with eight threads and eight compute units worth of AMD RDNA 2 graphics, alongside 16 gigabytes of LPDDR5 RAM. There are three different storage tiers, 64 gigabytes of eMMC, uh, for the 399 entry model, 256 gigabytes of an MVME SSD for 529, and then a 512-gigabyte high-speed MVME SSD for 650, according to Valve. You can also expand uh, see, uh, the available storage with a micro SD card slot, although I have another link showing the SSD is not meant to be upgraded, though, but you can add a micro SD slot. As for the battery life, Steam Deck's onboard 40-watt-hour battery provides several hours of playtime for most games, in quotes, that's what Valve says. <laughs> for lighter use case gaming, smaller 2D games, or web browsing, you can expect a maximum battery life of approximately 7 to 8 hours. And Va Valve tells IGN that you can play Portal 2 for 4 hours on this thing, and if you limit it to 30 FPS, you can be playing for 5 to 6 hours, which I would just point out, Okay, well, that's a really old game, but anyway, yeah. anyways, I mean, you could almost argue that's kind of like arguing a newer 2D game, but, and if you need to pause your game, the Steam Deck offers a quick suspend resume feature built into the Steam OS that will let you put the device into sleep mode and pick up where you left off later, which is modern console. The Vita did that too, which was really useful for a mobile gaming device. On the software side of things, the Steam Deck runs what Valve is calling a new version of Steam OS that's optimized for the handheld's mobile form factor, but the actual OS is based on Linux and will use Proton as a compatibility layer to allow Windows-based games to run without requiring the developer's specifically port them for the Steam Deck. And in fact, there's other articles going around talking about how Valve is reaching out to studios to make sure their anti-cheating software doesn't flag Linux distros as cheaters. So Steam, it, this also is kind of an unofficial half reboot of SteamOS as well, it seems actually, working on higher compatibility. Especially because I think they're also encouraging uh, other companies to make new things that use SteamOS now, or handhelds that use SteamOS. So I don't know if we'll see oh, okay. in the next like two years or so an, a different handheld that uses SteamOS come out that it gains some prominence, but there's always a chance. So there have been rumors about a Steam handheld going around, I believe, for the past two months. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, the actual day this was announced, I mean, it was a little surprising to me. I mean, maybe, you know, I'm just busy, so I didn't see it coming that day. But it's just like I saw it and I was like, oh, oh, there it is. Yeah, and I just I remember I was in lab and I just got a random Google alert Steam Deck. It's like, oh, cool, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess another thing to add on top of this is a lot of people jumping in and going, well, there it is. Tom was right about Van Gogh. A lot of gloating by executable fix as well. Well deserved, I believe, by him, <laughs> um, as usual. Uh, and I, I actually haven't seen the exact links or quotes from others. I've seen some people suggest in comments that it might not be Van Gogh. And my only response to these were, well, go to my Van Gogh leak where I detailed a quad-core Zen 2 with eight RDNA2 compute units that has LP DDR5 and is seemingly built for handheld gaming. Um, I guess maybe they won't. If they don't call this Van Gogh, I detailed exactly what just came out. And in fact, there have been several leakers that said, was it Aerith? Maybe an Air. No, I think it was Aerith that there was a there was another code name kind of being used with Van Gogh as well. So I don't know if either this is just they had several code names for it, which let me point out to people right now for Zen 3D internally at AMD. And again, you can choose not to believe me, but it, it look it, right now in AMD, guys, if you believe me on other stuff, this is I mean, you should believe me on this. It's the same sources. They're calling these some of the Zen 3D refresh products Vermeer X Zen 3D, which is my favorite name. And uh, even Warhol sometimes, even the Warhol used to be something else. So to say they couldn't call this both Van Gogh and Aerith, or was it Miro or Aero? I don't remember. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if there were multiple code names this was referred to as. And in fact, the more I go down the codename rabbit hole at AMD, it is, it is like a lot less consistent than Intel's guys. <laughs> like, they, 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 like, that's all I can really say. And so... Whether it's Van Gogh or not, I detailed this exact APU from start to finish, top to bottom. <laughs> so call it Van Gogh if you want or don't want to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would be funny if, um, like, Van Gogh was some other product that it, project that existed, and then for some reason they got conflated with whatever you were told. <laughs> but I don't no, know. You had this exact same. <laughs> you had this exact same thing, whether they call it Van Gogh or not. And it could be some like custom version, slightly tweaked version of Van Gogh for Valve. Because Van Gogh, to my understanding, at least what I heard, was originally kind of planned for the Microsoft Surface as a competitor mm -hmm. to the quad-core Tiger Lake. And that was actually supposed to come out, I think, earlier this year. And it just never did. Some deal fell through with Microsoft, is my understanding. And so if that got canned, but then Valve was like, we'll take it, which is kind of what I think actually happened. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, well, also do a couple other changes to like the BIOS or, you know, like the software side of it or something, you know, because there are like, if you go back, for example, to the, I think it was called the Ryzen 3780U. This was the quote unquote custom Microsoft Surface AMD APU on 12 nanometer. It was to my memory, really just a repurposed version of an embedded 12 nanometer APU from AMD. And yet they called it its own thing. So no, when it's a, there's always that possibility too. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, but yeah. what was it its own thing? Was it, you know? <laughs> like, and so I would just go as far as to say if they call it something else, it might be that kind of situation there as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the Steam Deck? You know, I don't think I'll be buying it, but it's a cool competitor. Kind of to the switch, <laughs> or it's not really a competitor. It's substantially stronger than the switch, as far as I can tell. Um, the battery life isn't great. That's the mm. big, my big concern. 
and I wish the I, I kind of wish the base was the 256 gigabyte at $400, but that might be asking for too much. So I, I still need to reach back out to this person, but there's one of my dev sources, um, actually from a big AAA, not not the next guest, someone else, um, that I was talking to, and he's like, he kind of doesn't think he it's going to do well, simply because devs are pressed by it, but a lot of devs think this doesn't have enough storage. And mm. I want to talk to a couple devs again. Some of the, it's like, a, most of the devs I've talked to have kind of said that it's like a lukewarm thing where it's really impressive and the initial sales will probably be high, but they're not sure. They're, they're not sure it'll have follow through sales out sort of the initial hardcore millions of people. Cause again, I think this will sell well at first. I think it will sell out. I think it'll sell millions at uh, first, but I don't know what the legs on it are going to be. I, I mean, I think this is a big test of if a product like this is anything more than a niche product, because I, if I had to place money on one side, I think I would go that it's at least semi niche, like not like PSVR level niche, maybe <laughs> where it's it, it gets a decent install base. But I don't think everyone that games on PC is going to be a, going out to get a Steam Deck. No. And and there's just honestly a lot of the developers so far that I've talked to are concerned about Valve's follow through because I mean, let's just be honest. They announced SteamOS and they, you know, it has its defenders, but look, say what you, whoever's listening to this, say what your opinion is of SteamOS. And I don't think it's terrible at all, but I'm telling you, if you're listening, the developers I've talked to were very disappointed in Valve's follow through. This isn't my opinion. This is a lot of people I talked to that there was this big fanfare. Oh, you know, there's going to be an Alienware one. There's going to be an Origin PC one. And we're going to do all of this stuff. And then they just almost overnight, like a year after it came out, did nothing with it. And a lot of developers saw that and they went, well, so we really shouldn't take anything Valve launches in the future seriously ever again. And so there's a lot of apprehension based on what happened with SteamOS with this. I'm not saying it can't be different this time, though. And I sure want it to be and the uh, you know like i said earlier the fact that they're already they're already pressing this angle of encouraging other developers to make a handheld i almost wonder if this is like some pilot not i don't know i don't know what exactly you would call it like almost like this pilot launch to try to get steam os out where maybe they don't even sell that many steam decks and i don't know third party steam decks start coming out and that's ultimately where they push the OS. I don't know why exactly they would want to do that over selling their own hardware unless they're selling this at a loss. But, but. Yeah, and if you look at the battery life as well, it actually, depending on how you look at it, has a good battery life. Like eight hours web browsing, that's for the bad, size yeah. of it, that's pretty good. But and yeah, if you're running a AAA game at 800p, which is 16 by 10 display, it's like... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me that that dies in a few hours. So let's remember, most gaming laptops, if they even let you game on battery with a dedicated card or whatever, you know, like I could with my MX250 laptop, that worked okay. You know, even if I use that, I would have to like lower the core. I limited, I believe, the core clock on my i7 to like 1.6 gigahertz. And that that would have about a few hours of battery life. So it's still matching the mobile gaming laptops that are out there. Um, it's not, so I don't know. It depends how you look at it, though, but it does kind of highlight the weaknesses 
and trying to make a handheld PC gaming device that I would go as far as to say that for a, if they have a follow-up one, that what, that, that it all should be about lowering power consumption more so than increasing performance, that they just got to make sure they have enough performance, you know? I'm also curious, like this is obviously built for gaming, but it is an interesting thing. Like you can install Windows on it. So you do have this tiny little PC that you can transport with wherever you want to go with you. And it also has a docking station that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that does sound useful for some people. It's a a cool device at a minimum. And I'm curious what like communities is really going to evolve out of this if it gets somewhat big. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the fact that it does run a version of Linux though, I go, okay, but if I get this guys, I'm not going to get this. Probably I'm not going to get this and also have my studio laptop. I would want this to replace my studio laptop as a more portable option. And I still, and again, I'm just, this is my opinion. People don't have to agree with me, but when I look at like, pictures of this it's not that small i i think for me the playstation vita was the biggest i would want in a handheld that really smaller than that and smaller than the switch where it can truly fit in my pocket like really be a handheld really be that that's really what i'm i'm not looking for something that can fit in my backpack because then i'll just bring my laptop i mean this is like the size of a tablet that or what so it has a seven inch screen so it's like the size of a tablet that you cut some of the width off and then just add that to the thickness of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not perfect, like, size-wise. I would li- I agree. I would like to see it a little you smaller. Would want. Yeah, and actually, I do want to—I'm st- curious what you think. So it has the trackpad analog sticks. I saw and, that. That's interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I don't think—I oh. think I would have preferred they would have just picked one. So I think the idea is so you can choose which one you want to use. And it's like, you tell me which one you want to use because those analog sticks are kind of in a bad position. Well, and um, this was, they were talking about this on the, uh, on Sacred Symbols this week, I believe, uh, the Steam Deck. And Colin Moriarty brought up a good point. Like, there's a lot of muscle memory that all controllers are designed around. Mm. And having the analog stick in line with the uh, face buttons, yeah, that's not. I'm is completely like Xbox. De- yeah, they're always Xbox the P- or, Yeah, yeah, they're they're always up and a little bit offset from the analog sticks. Yeah, and if I'm like or holding an Xbox the- controller, like I'm like I'm holding right now, you'd want to move your thumb down to the left, or like yeah, yeah, no, this is just not like either the PlayStation or Xbox controller, so or any controller that's been launched in like. Since the PS2. <laughs> but we haven't held it, so we don't know if it's actually a problem or not. But that is worth... Yeah, that's true. And, and another thing I'm thinking about, about if they were going to make it more compact. You know what, though? I, this is kind of marketed to play AAA PC games. The smaller you make it, the harder it's going to be to get a real grip on it. Like, I remember, you know, they didn't have two analog sticks, for example, on the PSP. But they kind of said we tried it on this size and it was really cramping people's fingers to try to control two analog sticks. That's why the Vita, one reason the Vita was a little bigger. And even then, you know, just because you have two analog sticks does not mean you're as accurate as using like an Xbox controller that's far bigger and allows more precision Mm -hmm. with your thumb. Nor, of course, as accurate as a mouse or close to that. So 
I do wonder though if they tried to make this smaller, if it just like you weren't, you're not playing control with it smaller because it's the controls are just terrible. Yeah, that's true. And that's a major concern I would have with playing AAA games on this is how much of the controller interface is this assumption that you have this level of accuracy. Because if you remember like D- like 3DS or PSP shooters, like they would have you use like the uh, either the directional button or like the triangle square X circle mm-hmm. as the aiming. But the game knew that you were terrible at aiming because you're using a PSP. So the difficulty corresponded to that. If you're yeah. playing control or like a Twitch shooter, if you're playing Doom on this and it does and it's built for the PC version and expects you to be really accurate with a mouse. Like I play Doom with a mouse on PC. Um hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I guess those are our concerns. I guess we actually had quite a bit to say about this. I again though, we haven't really held it. I kind of want to try it out though. It is interesting, yeah, and I do it's hope it in- succeeds. It's interesting. I once again I, I don't think I'll get it. Because I just don't think I would have a super strong use for it, but it's it's interesting. Well, and I hope that the, what they're doing with Proton compatibility really does does get very very good because having competition to Windows and gaming is I, I just think so overdue now. And uh, uh, apropos to our SteamOS discussion uh, with Die Shrink, I don't whenever that released. Or, um, you know they taught I. Read stuff about how Proton really fixes uh, issues with SteamOS, and like, there's a whole database that shows most games work fine on SteamOS. But then when you really look at it, it's like this has Platinum certification, which is the highest or second highest level of certification you can have on that database. Then you read like user responses to its performance, and it's still like one out of fifteen says it doesn't work. So yeah, that it still has a ways to go. Yeah, I I would want to at least experience using Linux myself to see like how accurate are those uh, rankings that you see. Like, does it really functionally work for pretty much every game, or does it functionally work for most games for most people, or or what? (laughs) Yeah, the final thing I want to touch on is. You mentioned Colin Moriarty. He, they were talking about this and how, from their, from his perspective, he was saying he can't believe Sony hasn't released some follow-up to the Vita or something. And it got me... Th- because, like, a large thing I've heard is that a reason Valve's swooping in is just because they see this as kind of a safe bet. They are a very conservative company. They are. They don't do anything but sell hats anymore. <laughs> like, like, they do not like making risks. And yet they clearly said... Nintendo has no competition in handheld. There's a bunch of these like really kind of sketchy Kickstarter handheld Windows gaming devices that we don't think are the quality they should be. And also, it seems like Microsoft just didn't use Van Gogh. So there's a chance here we could just swoop in with the perfect APU for the perfect competition to a, a, a space without a lot of competition right now and make this. You know, how crazy it is that Microsoft and Sony haven't tried to make a gaming handheld themselves. And I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on if they should enter that, because from I hear that there's like zero interest right now from Sony. Of course, they throw around ideas every now and then. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like they aren't talking about it, but it's like very, very little talking about it. I mean, like uh, they, they were talking about if they could just straight up have like a base PS4 handheld, that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Which 
this this level of performance, I'm not saying they could just throw a Van Gogh into the PS and call it a PS4 portable because it, they would need to do a lot of customizations to get things to work from the PS4 to this with like seamlessly, which I don't think they would do. But this is roughly roughly as strong as a PS4, I would think. So, yeah, or I stronger. mean, well, the CPU it, is obviously stronger. It's got more RAM. The graphics card is, uh, I mean, probably stronger. Yeah, it's probably a little stronger. A companion units, Jesus, of RDNA 2 clocked more than twice, I think more than twice as fast, right? Like, yeah, but it's, it's probably it, stronger. It's like, you know, probably 50% higher. You know, this is not perfect, so everyone calm down. But, you know, 50% higher per compute unit performance. If Before we take, you know, talk about clock speeds than the PS4. And then I think that at 18 compute units, I want to say, enabled. You know, so if that's true... And then it's clocked higher. Yeah, it should be a bit stronger than a PS4's graphics card. and Definitely not as strong as a PS4 Pro, though. Uh, and then, of course, a much stronger CPU. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, going back, though, to if Sony should release one or Microsoft, I would just say that the more I think about it, I would actually advise that, you know, if they did, if Microsoft were to make a gaming handheld, that what they needed to do is be the same performance as a Series S. That's what they need to do. And if that can't come out this year, I don't think it can at a reasonable price or power consumption, then don't do it. And you just wait and then release it. Because the more I think about it, the more it's like, you know, the Vita failed because it, it, it's like they put an Uncharted on it, but it wasn't Uncharted, you know, it wasn't Uncharted 4. And to split up your catalog is just a mistake. You want to carry over all of the games you have on Xbox or PlayStation. And so I think what Sony would actually want to try to do is release some version of a PS5S that literally can play all PS5 games. And that they shouldn't yeah. even bother with a handheld until that's what it is. I would go as far as to say I don't think they should make it a PS4 portable. It should be a PS5 portable and they should just wait. Uh, that would probably be a better long-term strategy, but I, I don't think it's a good idea to keep making products anymore that like segment segment your games into two different silos. Right. That's why so, I'm saying they would have to do that. And I'm not even saying they should literally wait until they can shrink, you know, the 200 watt PS5 into 10 watts or something. I'm saying like you could even make it an eight compute unit version so it can do the backwards compatibility to PS4. Like you could literally just do like a half one and be like, yeah, all we do is we built it so that devs know that the performance mode, you know, runs like the resolution mode or you know what I mean? Like that's all they would need mm -hmm. to do is it's like, no, just anything running on PS5 is now half the resolution. It has the same CPU. Like I could see them doing that in a few years, and that's the only thing that I think would work. Same goes for Xbox. Yeah. Just make a portable Series S. Because if you try anything else, if you split up the catalog, it's a waste of time. Yeah. And I and I, I would go as far as to say that I don't think actually an Android version is what anyone wants. Like no, if we look around. The, the, those failed. No. Yeah. Um, I know some people will write in and say they want it, but eh. Slick Willie writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. I got to ask. What are your guys' thoughts on the Steam Deck? I know it has been covered to the oblivion by almost every TechTuber and tech site. I think we just did with that extended conversation. <laughs> but do you think the combination of SteamOS, a Van Gogh APU, and Proton will give it the possibility to be a successful launch and product? Also, with the hype, specs, and everything else, does it just pass the sniff test? I think it does. Yeah, it's a while until it comes out. 
which actually that was another thing we forgot to bring up. It doesn't come out till next year, which, uh, wait, what? Yeah. No, no, no. Comes out Q2 next year. Oh, oh, I did miss that. Jesus. Um, well, yeah. And it, I mean, it will still be the, the strongest gaming handheld at that time, but yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think we've covered our opinions on it quite thoroughly. I, I would just say that right now, I, I think it passes the sniff test. I'm just not, yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just not sure it'll be a runaway success, right? Although I would not be surprised if his first, you know, month sales were insane, especially for like a PC type release. It'll sell well at first. I, I, I have no guess on to what its legs will be, though. Crass writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. Thanks for the Die Shrink 50. It was really cool to look back at the history and future of SteamOS and Steam-branded devices. Yeah, I mean, that actually came out right when this, <laughs> you know, it was recorded, of course, before that, but it came out right when this was announced. We did not plan to do that. And so far, that's been a very popular episode. But he goes, I think you missed one key factor in your evaluation of the Steam Deck, which is the way it is being pushed. With the first SteamOS releases, they were trying to convince developers to do Linux ports. This time around, all over the pages on their Steam Deck Dot com website. They are just saying things like your Steam library is available. There's no caveats given that statement. It's essentially it's all available. Well, there are caveats. It uses Proton. And as Dan covered, you know, most Unless... people, if it has platinum status, most people don't have issues, but there's still usually like a one in 20 that does. And, uh, it, you know, that's not a perfect sorting factor. I bet. As with all things, when people are pissed mm. off, they probably yeah. go to to complain about it more often. So maybe it's not one in 20. Maybe it's one in 40 or one in 50 or whatever. Um, and maybe it is still Q2 2022. So I'm going to assume that means June of 2022. It's still <laughs> 11 months away. It's still nine to 11 months away. I would probably put my money in closer to 11. Maybe there will be a big push to get compatibility working better in that time frame. And this is what they're working on right now. Yeah, but go on. Yeah, and he continues, and while I know it's not 100% sure that you can play all games with Proton, and in particular, there are some games, especially a few popular competitive games with extremely aggressive anti-cheat detection that flip out when under Linux, reportedly Valve has already reached out to those game developers, asking them to please dial back their anti-cheat or make a modification so it can work on SteamOS. Maybe doing it in the order they've done, it is somewhat brilliant, actually. They made their no caveat bluster, and now they can go to those developers and say, we got half a million reservations for this thing in North America and Western Europe alone in four hours, and now we're not able to offer more reservations until quarter two, 2022. Do you really want to deny that Steam Deck users playing, you know, insert game here, don't want you to make sure it works on release. That is true. That was probably a really wise thing to do. So they could just go, hey, guys, this is blowing up in the news. Make sure your game works. That could happen. Although, once again, I'm skeptical of how much it's going to increase the size of the gaming, the Steam gaming market, because I think most people buying this are going to own a PC already. (laughs) That's my assumption, at least. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's like, well, do we need to make sure this works? Is anyone going to get this and play Warzone? I don't know if that's one of the games that has problems with Proton, but like, you know, and I think that's a fair point I've heard some people say as well. Like, yes, it can run AAA games, but the people buying this are probably to play some of their AAA games on the go. Is anyone actually going to be playing games like Counter-Strike on this competitively? I mean, come on. Well, um, Counter-Strike, 
works on Proton. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but no, it's I'm looking at the Proton database right now, and I it's definitely a lot better. But I, you know, I do have to point out. Uh, PUBG, Apex Legends, Destiny 2, and Rainbow Six Siege all don't work on Proton using Proton right now. Yeah. So, so they have a year. They have a lot to get. They do have a lot to expand. And, you know, maybe that is a big argument they're going to try to make is get your shit working on Steam because there are going to be several million people actually trying to use it now. But so... I don't know. Maybe this will be a big push to try to get it to to work better, but we'll see. I, I just don't. I, I don't know how much it's expanding the market, though. So I don't know if a lot of if some devs will be completely unconvinced by that argument. I would just say that if you're bringing up our discussion on the original SteamOS launch, that that really is a different circumstance. I think yeah. in short term, this Proton solution that's already out, of course is a far better solution for making sure there's a lot of games you can play at launch. But at the end of the day, none of them are going to work perfectly, for the most part, unless they were natively designed for Linux. And so I guess it just depends how you look at it. When Steam announced, when Valve announced SteamOS, the assumption was that they wanted to get developers to work on Linux natively because this was going to have a lot of fault. a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Gabe Newell's a billionaire. He's going for it. But there was no follow through. So I guess there's less follow through required for this to work. But I would still wonder where this plays into if they're actually making some big initiative for SteamOS again. Because you could almost argue going with Proton is them going, we're never going to actually try to threaten Windows. Because it relies on the game being on Windows first, guys. So <laughs> um, just don't forget that. But I think we should move on. If you have any other thing to say, Gim... Put it in the reader mail channels. I'm sure that there's a lot more discussion to be had on this. Um, all right, let us move on to the final main story then. Story number six. Intel in talks to buy global foundries for about $30 billion. And I'm quoting from the Wall Street Journal. Intel Corp is exploring a deal to buy Global Foundries, Inc., according to fami people familiar with the matter, and a move that would turbocharge the semiconductor giant's plans to make more chips for other tech companies and rate as its largest acquisition ever. A deal could value Global Foundries at around $30 billion, people have said. It isn't guaranteed one will come together, though, and Global Foundries could proceed with a planned initial public offering that has already been rumored. But Global Foundries is owned by Mubdala Investment Co., an investment firm of the Abu Dhabi government, and based in the, but based in the U.S. Any talks don't appear to include Global Foundries executives. A spokesman, spokeswoman for the company said it isn't in discussions with Intel. Intel's new chief executive, Pat Gelsinger, in March said the company would launch a major push to become a chip manufacturer for others, a market dominated by Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co. Intel, with a market value of around $225 billion this year, pledged more than $20 billion in investments to expand chip-making facilities in the U.S. Mr. Gelsinger has said more commitments domestically and abroad are in the works. And I will add that I did talk to a source about this. And well, this individual cannot confirm how likely it is to go through, that this is highly likely, you know, a very real thing, though, that Intel is working on, and that people need to remember that a lot of this has to do both with expanding its ability to make chips for other people, which Gelsinger is saying he wants to do, and also about security in manufacturing. Global Foundry's most advanced fabs, if I remember correctly, are in New York and Vermont, thus securing 
U.S.-based manufacturing for Intel if they buy them. <sighs> yeah, I, it's, that's all in line then with Pat Gelsinger's mm-hmm. um, medium-term goals or stated goals for the mm-hmm. next few years. But I don't like corporate consolidation. I think there's already too much of it to begin with. I don't know if Intel is the biggest worry uh, among the uh all tech companies, but they've definitely been anti-consumer in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, what but, worries me about this, though, is it's like, and, and I think I put this yeah, down here in the notes, is it's like AMD is getting real buddy-buddy with TSMC. Some people have argued to me they're a wing of TSMC now. <laughs> like, And then you have, you know, Intel has its own fabs already, Samsung's working with NVIDIA, but they're behind TSMC right now, and I suspect they may fall behind Intel in three years again. We'll we'll see about that. I'm not sure. Um, but the point really being, it's really, I don't know, TSMC's in charge. Intel's has its own fabs. I kind of like there being two other ones, Samsung and Global Foundries, even if Global Foundries is behind right now, as options. And if Intel buys Global Foundries that makes it basically just Samsung for because, you know, like, yeah, Apple is buying up so much of TSMC and so is AMD now and a couple other companies that you just go, I really liked Global Foundries being its own thing. And so that's one thing I would say that's my own opinion. But then over here, if you will, to the side, maybe riding shotgun in the opinion car. My other opinion would be that if I was Intel, this may be a very good acquisition. So it's possible for me to understand both that this should, this would possibly be a very good move for Intel, but that doesn't mean I necessarily want it to happen. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I did Same with ARM, by the way, NVIDIA buying ARM. Probably a good move. Doesn't mean I want it to happen. Well, that's what uh, antitrust cases are for. Mm -hmm. What's best for the company isn't always best for the market. But no, I also did just look it up. So the most advanced fabs are in Ver- are in New York and Dresden, Germany. Mm-hmm. I Vermont. Think what's Vermont, Vermont is ninety nanometer. It is. I may have misread yeah. something then, or an out of date thing. Um, okay, then. Uh, so yeah, but that moves it out of Asia. Either That's way, true. yeah, you know. And so it it really does make a lot of sense. Um, I'm not sure how much more you have to add about it, but another thing I kind of want to point out to everybody is I remember how many people were saying, oh, is Intel going to spin off their fabs? Oh, is Intel going to spin off their fabs? No. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking maybe, maybe not a few years ago, but I think people will notice that the more we talk in Broken Silicon about it the past year, I've kind of been like, I don't think so. And now I'm firmly in the camp of they're not. And I think you could make the argument that maybe five, six years ago, if hindsight's allowed to be 2020 here, Intel should have spun it off while they were having issues, gone to TSMC, bought up a ton of capacity, made good with TSMC, maybe at the same time as AMD. And that would have benefited them, but they didn't. And in the current world, everyone wants chips. So having your own fabs firmly under your control is not a lot of people that can do that. So I don't see Intel spinning this off anytime soon. And in fact, you know, from some discussions I've had with people, it's like there's a real asset to having full design control over both an architecture and 
the fab you're working at for 3D stacking. Because I don't, again, I've said this a few times on Broken Silicon. I don't know if you guys know this. It's kind of hard to do 3D stacking. It's really complicated. <laughs> a lot can go wrong. Having full control over the fab and the architecture you're designing is an asset in a tile yeah. future. Well, yeah. I mean, what? But uh, 3D stacking is makes cooling way, way more difficult, correct? Well, yeah, and there's so many things that can go wrong in the packaging process. Um, yeah. You know, I would say, you know, right now, Global Foundries is, you know, around, you know, they got 12 nanometer type nodes. It's just like Intel may go, so? We don't need all the <laughs> tiles to be 10 nanometer or 7 nanometer. We'll just put this on it. Yeah, that's true. And we can control these ones because they're in the U.S. or Germany, which I don't know how much people pay attention to news, but... Some issues in other parts of the world right now, though really all parts of the world, but, you know, having a diverse set of locations that you're drawing from is, is an asset moving forward. So I guess to summarize thoughts on this, you know, story, it is still a rumor. It doesn't mean it's going to go through, and I can't 100% confirm the chance it will, right? But all evidence, you know, right when I saw this even, I was like, oh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> like, and... And if it does go through, this just completely kind of throws away the arguments, well, right or wrong, who knows, that Intel should spin off its fabs. This is not, guys. Yeah. All right. Let us move on then to the wrap-up. So let me see here. We've got multiple let's see, I don't know. Let's let's go through the the the, the first story there last, actually. So I saw one interesting thing here where if a game supports any DLSS, you can update it manually by yourself to 2.2. Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've seen some people talking about it on Twitter, too, like in conversations you used in the script last week where people are, you know, putting different versions of DLSS in by just, what, they're just swapping out the DLSS file in the game, aren't they? Yeah. Which I'm curious how well that works, or if it's buggy at all. I would imagine some of the be. games had some big problems, I think, but others people claimed it worked fine. Okay, <laughs> but yes, I mean, if you're bored, I guess you can uh, see if games work in DLSS. Well, the thing is, I don't really have many games with DLSS one that I would bother trying because I just haven't even tr bothered until mm -hmm. a game is two point two. Is that of how terrible? or 2.0, I should say, or later, uh, because of, well, I tried 1.0, and <laughs> anything below 2, I'm really not interested in. But yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, additionally here, AMD says 80 system designs are unofficially going to be using the PS5's hardware. So that's kind of interesting, that it's like that, not even just the 4700S, but you could start seeing the uh, the PlayStation 5 APU show up in various different model types all mm -hmm. over the place. Which again, I'm also just pointing out, I told you guys the 4700S was on the Xbox. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many of those websites just said they were wrong that it was the Xbox after like running with three articles in a row about it for weeks? Nobody admitted it. Yep. All right. Um, there's the right to repair thing going on. I actually haven't followed this. Do you have anything to really say about that? It actually seems like things are kind of going in a pro-consumer way for the most part. That's a good thing. I'm surprised. And the <laughs> Waz is cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> He's also, always been cool, though, I think. Also, an interesting thing here, PlayStation assets were also found in Netflix code. So I don't know how much you've followed 
this, I don't think there's much, many details outside of the fact that they found, let me look here, kind of like graphics for the controller and Ghost of Tsushima in Netflix code after an update. I would say if it was just one of the game's pictures, that might only suggest some movie coming to Netflix, because apparently Sony has some deal to bring their Frickin', I don't know why they're making them, but PlayStation movies to Netflix, you know, day on date, kind of similar to like how DC's coming to HBO day and date. Um, but the controller picture's odd, because that to me suggests they may bring PS Now to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, or they're like teaming up to... To market or... or... Or because the only thing I could imagine if they're bringing PS Now to Netflix is if... Netflix and PS and PlayStation are in bed together to like launch a gate, a streaming service together or something for gaming, mm-hmm. because I don't know why Sony would deliver PS now through Netflix and mm. why Netflix would also have its own gaming streaming thing, which I mean, that other thing, it just says Netflix gaming. That's clearly something that's being developed by Netflix. Yeah, I, I, again, there's, there's really very little detail. So I don't, again, this isn't a main story. It's just in the wrap up, but it is interesting to see, you know, xCloud and, um, kind of taking off next to Game Pass. And it would be really interesting if just this asymmetric thing happens where Sony just goes, oh, well, we're partnering with Netflix for our game delivery service. Yeah. And it would which... make sense because Microsoft's like one of those like trillion dollar companies, I believe. Um, I doubt Netflix is that, but nope, they're about the same size as Sony. You know what is above, it, what is that? Uh, is that like a hundred? I think above two hundred billion. Okay, so which again, I didn't. So yeah, it would make sense why they would both go. Oh, we're kind of getting strong armed here. We should partner up. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I I guess I don't know the uh, Netflix's uh, infrastructure, but it might be a good idea to partner with Netflix. For mm-hmm. streaming, although I, I once again I want to see how low, how much lower, how low latency Netflix is compared to any other streaming service because you know they don't really need to worry about latency when it comes to streaming movies. Again, though, I could see if that this hypothetical, not confirmed partnership, yeah. make a ton of sense when you consider the deal could simply be, hey, we're done with PS Now, we're just bringing it through Netflix, and Netflix, you'll get extra advertising on every PlayStation console. And then also all these other deals back and forth. It's an interesting development, but again, who knows? Maybe it's it's much less than that. Yeah, and it has to be noted that this story is entirely from a guy found some PlayStation assets in Netflix's source code. Yeah. So it could just be some relic of a non-existent deal, too, or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. And then also in the wrap-up, I just wanted to throw this in here. The fact that the NUC 11 Extreme is like out with an i9-11900KB Tiger Lake. And I, I mean, guys, this is a desktopified, shall we say, version of the 8-core <laughs> Tiger Lake that boosts to 5.3 gigahertz with one core and can boost multiple cores to like 4.9 and I'm putting this next to another story of, and I can't 
you know, I haven't looked into confirming any of this yet. I, I might, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to start asking around, but that the i9-12900K from Alder Lake also boosts to 5 gigahertz. I And then all cores to, let me see, 1 to 2 core to 5.3, 8 core to 5 gigahertz. Um, it's like, so from where we're sitting, Tiger Lake already hits 5.3 gigahertz. There's rumors coming out that Alder Lake could have all core clocks, depending on your power configuration to five gigahertz <laughs> there's evidence here alder lake could be a real clock speed beast in addition to that ipc yeah. increase i think intel like they've decided they're the clock speed champs so i i, I suspect <laughs> that they would want alder like to hit five gigahertz regardless but yeah I, um i don't I, my guess is that alder lake will be clocked to five or I, yeah, or higher maybe not higher than that board. yeah yeah and I mean, I, from where I'm sitting, it's just like, yeah, I, everything else here in these Alder Lake leaks coming out now are basically confirming everything I've said about the configurations of the top i9, i7, and i5, you know, like 8 plus 8, 8 plus 4 for the i7, and then 6 plus 4 for the i5, K, but then these non-K i5s are 6 plus 0, so just 6 big cores, no little cores, which is interesting again, I think, but makes sense to me, and I won't get into it again. Um... And that, yeah, if they all, if they bring over a 10% or 15% IPC increase and then have all core boost to five gigahertz, I think, I think this could just firmly be the best gaming processor at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, you know, Zen 3D coming with possibly a 15% IPC increase for games. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And there are rumors now emerging, by the way, and little whispers I've heard of AMD considering going all out with the Zen 3D lineup. Like, maybe they will do some sort of architectural enhancement or node shrink at the same time. So, this you know, some of this is why I leak so much stuff, too, is it's just like, if I'm told not to leak something <laughs> in the future, I don't for my sources. But, you know, I want AMD to know that Intel's coming could be coming with something way better than what they have now. And I want Intel to know that AMD could still beat Raptor, like, even in multi-thread because of how good it's going to be. I don't want any of this freaking holding back from either company <laughs> and that, that's really just what i continue to hope for i have no i don't care i don't own stock in either of these companies i just want them to go all out yeah all right let us get to the final reader mail so tick tickler writes and he says what cabal of witches does mark cerny frequent to get ray tracing better than the leather jacket man whose $1,200 pitch of it to the world is the basis for the mon monorail episode of the Simpsons. So I don't know exactly what that is. He's referencing. Oh, that's that. a classic episode of the, of the Simpsons. What, what happens? Um, it's been a really long time since I've seen that episode, but I've probably uh, seen it. I just don't remember a company. If I remember correctly, a shady company comes in and builds a monorail in Springfield. Okay. But you don't remember. The, how this I, I, it's been a year since I've seen that episode. But anyways, though, I'm not really sure what to make of your question, but I'm going to interpret it to mean why does ray tracing work so well on the consoles? And I specifically assume you mean Miles Morales, because I think that's still pretty much quoted as the best looking console ray tracing game. Um, and I would just say, you know, well, the PS5 has a custom architecture with its own enhancements. And this has continued to be reiterated by every dev I have on the <laughs> podcast, by the way, guys. And also, though, Insomniac's a really talented dev who's probably just getting more out of it than a lot of devs can when they're programming for a bunch of things, especially when half of the stuff that they've been programming for recently for ray tracing on P5 
PC is out of NVIDIA's black box that they have limited access to half the time. Um, however, you know, if you look at Resident Evil 8, uh, the PS5 and Xbox Series X have some ray tracing. The Xbox Series X also runs that a little better than the PS5 did. So no matter how you dice it, both of these consoles have pretty impressive ray tracing, at least for what some people expected, I would argue. And mm-hmm. overall, I would just say some devs are really talented at this. And clearly, RDNA 2 is not putting in quotes bad at ray tracing. Clearly, RDNA 2 is not bad at ray tracing. It just hasn't been supported yet. That, that's my answer. There's no black <laughs> magic. It's just AMD made a good architecture. And devs, you know, are, haven't fully utilized it yet. You look at Resident Evil 8, it's running about as well as Ampere. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the PS5 and Xbox Series X being... RDNA 2 <laughs> devices, I suspect that will have some carryover into gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, into uh, gaming PCs. Yeah. Yeah. NVIDIA should ensure that they get another console with a new APU in the next few years, I would think. King Atlas 347 writes in, Dan's shaking his head, laughing like he just, <laughs> he goes, just a quick question. So I've seen multiple videos popping up about a Navi 3X being twice as powerful as Navi 2X lately, especially on Broken Silicon. The way that I've always seen it, though, is that it would be three times the power efficiency over the original Navi rather than another complete doubling of performance over the previous generation. They do call it 3X. Right. That's not wrong. But remember, the Navi 3X thing was years ago, and that was their initial commitment, right? Remember, too, things like when they first talked about Zen 1, they're like over, they're like 40% IPC increase. Or like at least 40% IPC increase, I think is what they said, over like Bulldozer. I don't know if they compared it to Excavator, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But it ended up being like, if I remember correctly, 54% better. <laughs> you know, so at the end of the day, they have their initial promises. They were, pr- I'm just saying, they're promising that they would bring something, you know, 50% better than RDNA 2. And I would suggest that I may talk about what they promised, what they thought they can do, and what they're going to end up successfully doing in an upcoming leak. But that it's not incorrect to say that they said 3X RDNA 1. It will be, at least that. Well, yeah, and you've talked about that before, like uh, on on other videos, like tempering about tempering expectations that uh, RDNA 3 is going to (laughs) out and outright double performance because... If they did it, that would be way more, like we've said on this podcast before, that would be way more impressive than doubling RDNA 1 with RDNA 2 like they did. Yeah. <laughs> so if they do that, I'll be very impressed. And and remember, right, AMD, the reason Zen 3D reveal was so surprising is because AMD themselves didn't know it was working well until like mm-hmm. months before that presentation. And then they showed it off. You know, that's why there weren't all these rumors of it coming out before then. Um, and so when they were planning RDNA 3, you have to understand that, like, I think the Navi, I don't remember, I think the Navi 3X thing was like, wasn't, wasn't that like early 2019 or something? I don't know. Or is it 20? I don't remember. Was it early 2020? Probably. It's probably early 2020. And you have to understand that they were like, oh, so this is two years away. The overall things we can do are now pretty much set in stone, but we don't know which one of these designs will work in manufacturing, mass manufacturing yet. We don't know if we're going to get Vcash working on time. We don't know what the yields will be on 5 nanometer yet. We don't know a lot of things. And so, but we're sure it's going to be 50% better at least, whatever we release. And Mm -hmm. that if it ends up better than that, 
Those are their earlier projections. If it turns out better, no one's going to complain. Yeah. Um, Hollow Fractal writes in. He says, hey, Tom, I've been curious about something. I think AMD has a firm grasp on the MCM chiplets uh, type of technology right now. And I know NVIDIA is also looking into a multi-chip GPU. So if both AMD and NVIDIA go MCM chiplet for GPUs, do you see a time where RDNA 3 or 4 takes the gaming crown in such a way that NVIDIA couldn't release a TI or Super and call it a win? So I, I assume you're by this question you mean if they both go multi-chip, are you really sure like RDNA 3 will be strong enough that even if NVIDIA goes all out, they won't be able to beat it? That, that's how I interpret this question. That or it's kind of a, like a market reversal, like where AMD is essentially just releasing. I mean, NVIDIA can essentially only re release mid-range cards if you're comparing them to AMD, because mm -hmm. that that's kind of the way I I think that's the kind of the way it would have to go for NVIDIA to not be able to compete against AMD's top end. Yeah, uh, maybe, which I'm trying to think of what I've heard Let's, let's say, I'm, like I said, working on a couple of leaks. I'm not going to say right now. But, I mean, I I would just say that I'm starting to... Right now, AMD expects to win. And I've said that a million times, so this isn't new. And when I say win, I don't mean win, kind of, and then they release a super and beat AMD. I mean, I, right now, mm. AMD believes they will win. And the only thing I'm going to say is I'm kind of starting to double check, like... Because what I've asked a couple of sources is this, though. Does Jensen like losing... You know, does he like being surprised? Does he not have resources? Has he not gotten architecture redesigns out in record time, like with Maxwell? So yeah, I'm starting to, to like double check and make sure because AMD does think they're going to win right now, or at least they did as of like, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know, though, to say that I'm sure NVIDIA can't win. No, I'm not sure of anything with NVIDIA, <laughs> you know. They're, they're very yeah. closed ship. You know, they're very closed lips over there. And Jensen hates losing. So you should never 100% count them out. I think some people are, and that's premature. Um, Melodic Warrior writes in, recently for the fun of it, I did some benchmarking with a 6800 XT. I decided to compare it stock for stock with the RTX 3080 Ti. The settings I chose were 1440p high or ultra with RT turned on. Oh, so you had ray tracing turned on. The following titles used Control Wars on Fortnite Cyberpunk. Results were that while the 3080 Ti was 12.5% faster, that it is still a shorter gap than what it used to be. Also, my VRAM usage in Cyberpunk exceeded 14 gigabytes in busy spots. Oh, and with RTX turned on in Warzone with a 6800 XT, uh, I beat the 3080 Ti by a surprising 6% and came within 2% of average FPS and control. It would beat both the 1% and 0.1% lows. Yeah, I mean, I would say some of these would be surprising, except that you had ray tracing turned on and a lot of these games were built with NVIDIA's ray tracing yeah. in mind. So, but... To say that it's surprising that AMD won by 6% in some games isn't. You know, I there's a lot of people now saying that RDNA 2 is aging better than Ampere, and I would just go back and look at the original reviews and go, I don't know. There, at review day, the 6800 XT beat the 3090 in multiple games in 4K. You know, it just depends on which games you benchmark. Yeah, there, there's always weird flukes like that, too. Yeah, but I don't even um, consider it a fluke. Even on average, like the 3091 by like what? Like nothing, like a very small person, like single digits. Well, <laughs> I, I think that's been a big thing. Like I've, that we've been talking I've about. Said, yeah, that we've said a lot is like, yeah, the, the, uh, once you're at the, the enthusiast level, it's like we're talking about 10% performance differences for the most part anyways. So 
Yeah, I, I guess it's not really a fluke. It's just they're close to each other in performance. So every once in a while, even though on average the 3090 is stronger, there's going to be games of 6800 XD wins in. What I would say is if you go to Moore'sLawsDead.com and look at the performance tiers, there is a reason I put, let me just pull it up to make sure, you know, because it'd be pretty silly if I like misquoted myself, but <laughs> let me just double check it here as you all can. And yeah, I put the 6800 XT, 6900 XT, 3090, 3080 Ti, and 3080 in the same tier of performance with a red asterisk next to the 3080 because that will run out of RAM and games in 4K, multiple games. So... And it really is unsuitable above 4K because of the amount of RAM it has. And as Melodic Warrior points out, there's games where already 3080 Ti's running out of RAM. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, these cards were always all close to each other, guys. That's really all I can say. And that was a big focus of my 3080 Ti A6000 review is just like the idea that this is some higher tier is ridiculous. The, all of these cards are within single digit percentage performance, roughly speaking, maybe double digit. But then if you overclock both, the RDNA 2 cards overclock far better. So I just say they're all roughly the same performance, depending on the type of user you are. And really, the 3080 Ti, as I said in my review, is a 6800 XT with less RAM for double the price that uses more energy. So if that's what you like, cards for double the money with less RAM that use more energy, get a 3080 Ti. I would say all other consumers need not apply. <laughs> and the idea that this is priced higher than a 6900 XT, let alone a 6800 XT, is absurd. <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. I would say it's really a 6800 XT competitor in terms of overall value. Less RAM, more power usage, and um, the performance really isn't better. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, though, Uni writes in, Tom, it's beer time. Not quite yet. We're not done. I'm getting very tired, though. He goes, I've seen a lot of negativity towards Windows 11 recently. Do we feel it's going to be a buggy mess or will it be the next Windows 7 slash XP? So I just thought I'd put this in as the final reader mail. It's just kind of a gun up to your head, Dan. Will Windows 11 have a good launch? I think it will be f fine. I don't know what good really means here. Like, I think... Windows 11 looks like Windows 10, except they moved some shit around yeah, and made it more glassy looking. I, I, I don't know what else to even really say about Windows 11. I hope it's not a buggy mess, but, but I, I don't know what else to really say about it. I, I would just say, you, you made me think of something interesting here. Even the, all Windows, even the ones people didn't like were kind of created for a reason. Like Vista was pretty terrible, but... It did have a way more modern-looking interface, in my opinion, you know, and it did bring some newer features. XP was really looking old by the time Vista came out, my, I think. Uh, and so there was cause uh, to create it. And then if you look at Windows 8, well, it was kind of created for tablets. That's why it was made. And it tried to be more efficient with RAM usage than 7. And then you go to Windows 10, and it fixed the problems of 8 that people had a lot of problems on. I, 10, 11 doesn't fix anything anyone needed. And, th and this is kind of the first Windows, whether you liked previous distros or not, that I can honestly say I'm not sure what the point is. It, it's going to have slightly smaller uh, update sizes. So I guess that's good. And it's going to force you to get it for like newer 
DirectX and direct storage features and stuff. Outside of that, I is it the next Windows 7 or XP? I think Windows 10 is the new Windows 7 XP. And I kind of don't expect it to be terrible. I just expect it to be like in between, how do I put this? <laughs> in between what Windows 8.1 was and Windows, kind of like Windows 7 or something. Like, it's like, it's not going to be terrible, I don't think, but there's going to be a lot of people that are just like, why'd they move this, like with Windows 8? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, I think they need, felt like they needed to release a new version of Windows because one hasn't came out for like, what, five years or something? Yeah. Six years? I mean, that, that seems to be the reasoning for why it came out. It doesn't look, I don't know, I guess that they have the new social media 2021 web interface look that everyone hates so that's good <laughs> yeah I, I really don't have much to say there are some things in it that i thought look good there are some things in it that i'm like why'd you move that and i don't expect it to be great or bad i just expect it i don't think people are going to really care about this one both in a good and a bad way yeah i i mean i'm not going to be upgrading to windows 11 day one i don't see a reason to mm -hmm. yeah i agree all right damn that's it. That's the final reader mail. We finished the questions. I'm just mad because it started pouring down rain again for another goddamn time. It's been raining a lot in Massachusetts is my understanding. I cannot go. The amount of times I need to go outside a day, I cannot go outside without getting wet at least once. There's a joke there somewhere, but. We won't be making it. Um, <laughs> I just want to thank everyone for listening again. Remember, this is a podcast. You know, if you subscribe on a podcast app to get the weekly downloads, that helps us. Um, remember, you can listen to that there, typically with less ads. And if you want no ads and for it to come out early, you can support us on Patreon. We can also ask us questions, get the exclusive patron-only podcast, Die Shrink, free loose ends questions access to the Discord. There's a lot of stuff there. And, you know, again, we have someone coming on from Sony Santa Monica. You know, you will still, yeah, the questions will still be open for him when this comes live, even in the public feed. So look for that there. We need your support. But for me, Dan and Gerard, and apparently for Reese's vet bills, um, <laughs> because again, you could argue, could argue that she's a part of the team at this point. She's definitely in all the ads. She's arguably the most important member of the team, Tom. I don't know about that, but <laughs> she's definitely the most dog, cute dog like member of the team. Yeah. She's definitely cuter than me. If I'd like if I just acted like a dog, that'd just be That'd really be a little weird. It'd be pretty yeah. creepy. You don't want to be one of those people. Although now I know I, someone probably is into <laughs> Dan, they call it pup play. I think it's time to stop the podcast. We, <laughs> on we, that note. <laughs> we've gone too far. We've gone too far. We've gone to, we're not saying everyone who's into pup play has gone too far, but we are saying that is not in the purview of this podcast. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com.
If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telus, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lennon, Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad al Kawai, Frederick Cloud, James Crasser, Justin Pear, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Booking Kilo, Fatboy Disru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchik, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin. Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Lakata, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Tick Dickler, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Greg S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Garwanowski, Alex Carasteel, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Kerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Denovin Russell, Zabra Z Burrs, Licky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Rodney Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Rep Schneider, My Sharona, Y Trui, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, SS, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Maiden Park, Jimmy NG, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Z Jits, Shield TV, Couteau, Dane P, John Wisink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse, Jess Kowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, Amiable Sheaf, Michiel Pell, Gordon Freeman, Garanadin, Aaron, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Thank you.